0: Thank you, Dan, and choir and orchestra for beautiful worship this morning. Turn your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 13. I want us to begin this morning in the middle of Paul's sermon to the church at Pisidian Antioch. Look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Look again at verse 33. He raised up Jesus. Or verse 34. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead. And verse 37. But he whom God raised. Not once. Not twice, not thrice, but four times, Paul says in this sermon in the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch, God raised Jesus from the dead. It's the only message that matters. It's the essence of Easter. If there is not this sermon, then there is no sermon at all. For all hope hinges on the fact that on that morning, on this morning, God raised him from the dead. Move back to verse 14. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went in the synagogue and sat down. Paul and Barnabas go to Pisidian Antioch to the synagogue and as the text unfolds in verse 15, the synagogue official invites Paul and Barnabas to share a word. If you've got something to say, says the official, then say it. Then verse 16, Paul stood up, motioning with his hands and said, men of Israel, that would be the Jews, and you who fear God, that's the Gentiles, Both Jew and Gentile, the word from the apostle is, listen to what I have to say. And then the opening elements of Paul's sermon is a history lesson of God's dealing with ancient Israel. Look at the verbs beginning verse 17. God chose them. God multiplied them. God led them god gave them land and god gave them judges to lead and god gave them kings to rule all the way down to verse 22 we have the story of king david and then verse 23 from the offspring of this man according to promise god has brought to israel a savior jesus Verse 23, we have the first mention of the Messiah. From the offspring of this man, the king given to Israel, God has brought forth a savior, Jesus. But notice verse 27, this savior was not recognized. He was put to death, verse 28. Verse 29, he was laid in a tomb. That's where we find ourselves this morning, We're a verse 29 people. On Good Friday, we left with our Lord laid in the tomb. We sang the last song. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? And then verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. An alternative title for the sermon this morning could be the Adversative Conjunction. And a verse of conjunction for our grammarians expresses a contrast between two statements. They took him down from the cross. They laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Lest there be any confusion that it was so. Verse 31 And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now witnesses to the people. And look at verse 32 And we preach the good news to you. That's the word for gospel, euangelion, the good news. Easter is the message of good news. The good news of contrast. He was laid in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Now he refers, beginning in verse 33 and following to Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalm 16. All to say, David has died. David has experienced decay. But there's someone, verse 37. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. The psalm could not be speaking of David, for we know where David is buried, Paul is saying. But there is a descendant of David who experienced no decay of the body because he was alive. Look at verse 37. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. There it is. Therefore... This is the therefore of Easter. Therefore, what? What's a euangelion? What's the good news? Therefore, what? And then he tells us, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. First thing I want you to see this morning, the therefore of Easter, through him, through his death and through his resurrection, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 1A, God forgives you. Do you understand what it means this morning for that tomb to be empty? You and I, we are no longer in our sin. Paul, who preaches his sermon, writes elsewhere in Ephesians 1-7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. Through the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Jesus, we have forgiveness of our sins because of his rich grace. Or again in Colossians 1.14, this same Paul writes, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Some of you here this morning, You've been lugging around a lifetime of sin. You've been carrying yesterday's mistakes and willful disobedience and calculated sin. You carry it around with you every day, and the enemy, the evil one, reminds you of all of your faults and all of your sin and all of your failure. But the therefore is Easter is. Therefore, we are forgiven. The message of Easter is that you and I can take our, our sins, our, our failures, our mistakes, and we can drag them to the cross of Calvary, and we can leave them there. We can leave them behind, no longer a burden on our back to bear. Earlier in Acts, Luke wrote, Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Hebrews 10:17. God says, their sins I will remember no more. Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for forgiveness of sins. You remember that very first time when John the baptizer there at the river saw Jesus, the Son of God, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. The therefore of Easter is your sins are forgiven. You have a God with amnesia. He has forgotten your sins. He remembers them no more. Why are you still worrying about yesterday's sins? God plans for you to bring your sins to Calvary. Jesus has died. He has paid the price. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. I don't need to know but God knows God says my grace is sufficient for you and the prince of darkness constantly reminds us of all of our faults and all of our failures but the God of the cosmos says come and bring them bring them to the cross that I might remember your sins no more I've got some euangelion for you today I've got some good news for you today. Whatever you did yesterday has been forgotten in the mind of God through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Today, the message of Easter is you have a new beginning. You have a rebirth. You have a second chance. You've got a God who has chosen to forget and to remember your sins no more. I ask you this morning, what do you need to come and bring and lay at the feet of the cross, the feet of Jesus? What is there in your life that you need to drive a stake in the ground and say, this is a day that I will remember that God forgot, that I've taken my sin and I've laid them at Calvary, and I'm forgiven. Paul, the same Paul who's preaching this message says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you and that means me. There's not a, a man or a woman in this room or in the chapel or watching by way of television that doesn't need God's gift of grace. But I've got the euangelion for you today, the good news for you today. Forgiveness is found in the empty tomb of Jesus. That's 1A, God forgives you. 1B is, now you must forgive your brother. The right response to being a recipient of God's grace is that we also are givers of God's grace. A few years ago, there was a national-wide poll that asked the question, what word or phrase would you most like to hear uttered? What do you want to hear somebody say to you? Sincerely, what sincere phrase do you want to hear uttered? Number one, you probably guessed it, I love you. Number two, you are forgiven. Number three, supper's ready. (laughs) I love you. God's unconditional love. You are forgiven. God's unmerited grace. Supper is ready. God's unsurpassed invitation to his table. Think about Mark 11:25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who's in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Or Matthew chapter 6. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, then God will not forgive you your sins. The good news about Easter is not only does it change our relationship with God, it changes our relationship with each other. It changes our relationship to the Father, but it also changes our relationship to our brothers. There's an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal this week entitled, The Healing Power of Forgiveness. Things we've done. And things done to us carry a very heavy weight. The study was done by the University of Michigan School of Social Work, and Dr. Ingersoll Dayton concluded that unforgiveness, hoarding in your heart bitterness and revenge and hatred, what the doctor says is this, it is a recipe for bitterness and bad health. Dr. Sood, professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, says, refusing to forgive your brother is tantamount to suffocating yourself emotionally. Unforgiveness, says the good doctor, leads to anxiety, which leads to depression, which leads to high blood pressure, which leads to increased heart attacks. But when you forgive, said Dr. Sood, Allows you to free up the real estate in your brain, taken up by all the negative bitterness and hatred and thinking. Therefore, God has forgiven. Therefore, we are to forgive. Dr. Fred Craddock tells the story when the man down the road from the family farm, he was just a little boy, killed the Craddock dog. Our dog's name was Dempsey, he said, after the prize fighter, Jack Dempsey. Dempsey was just kind of a a mud of a dog, but he was our dog. And Mr. Cook down the street, he was an odd fella. He didn't like children, and he didn't like dogs. He was a strange man. And we told our daddy when he got home that Mr. Cook shot our dog. My father immediately put on his hat, put on his coat, and we thought, okay, Dad's going to get Mr. Cook. This is going to be good. He shouldn't shoot our dog. He was gone a long time. Mom got worried. Maybe it didn't go like Dad planned for it to go. Finally, he came in, and he was all covered with blood. What happened? Our mom said, I didn't know Mr. Cook was an epileptic. I knocked on the door. He didn't open. I opened the door, and he was having seizures there on the floor. He was already biting his tongue, and I just held him and secured him and just stayed there to take care of him. And I remember what I said. Fred remembers. Well, that's that's all good, Dad, but when he gets well, you're going to go back and get him, aren't you? You're going to go back and show him he can't shoot our dog. Dad said, no, no. I mean, he killed our dog. My dad let it go. I just don't get some people, says Fred. The Evangelion, the therefore of Easter. Look at verse 38 again. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, not on our own, but through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Not only God's forgiveness for us, but our forgiveness for each other. There's a, another Part of the euangelion, the good news. Another, therefore. Look at the second part of it. Therefore, verse 38. Through him forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you. And through him, another through him. Number two, through him. Everyone who believes. Believes what? In the crucifixion and in the resurrection of Jesus. Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Keeping her, trying to keep the 613 laws of Moses never freed anyone from anything. You don't even know. I don't even know all 613 laws we're supposed to be keeping. I can't keep them the law never freed anybody from anything therefore the euangelion the good news is through the death and resurrection of jesus you are free free from what paul there's always two things you're free from in paul you're free from sin and you are free from death therefore the therefore of easter therefore you are free free from sin Likewise, you are free from death. In Romans six, same preacher, says it this way: "Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we shall live with Him. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lust. And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You know, the reality is this. You and I are going to be slaves to something. Really, all of life is is an opportunity to pick your master. You're going to be enslaved to something. Will you be enslaved to greed? Will you be enslaved lust? Will you be enslaved to bitterness, pride, beauty? What will enslave you? The euangelion of Easter, the good news, therefore, through him, like the law couldn't do it, you are free. And therefore, free from sin, you have a new master, the master of righteousness, the master is a crucified and resurrected Jesus. Therefore, because of his death and resurrection, you are free from sin. The law didn't set us free. Jesus did. But there's another thing we're freed from. There's a 2A, a, we're free from sin. There's a 2B, a we are free from sin. Death. After numerous visits to the doctor's office, the doctor asked the hypochondriac, why are you always so concerned about your health? He said, well, doctor, death runs in my family, don't you know? (laughs) Take my history. Death runs in all of our families until the therefore, the adversity of conjunction, the euangelion. But you in his death through him are free from not only sin, but be, you are free from death. I love the way the author of Hebrews, surely a student of the apostle Paul's writes so much like Paul, since the children share in flesh and blood, Christ likewise also partook in flesh and blood, that through death Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that might free, it's the same language, might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this, Jesus put on flesh and blood that the devil, who has used to have the power of death, can no longer hold us captive. We never, no longer have to walk around fearing death. We are no longer subject as slaves to the fear of the end of death. You see, what happened in the resurrection of Jesus was not the occurrence It was not the life of a single rabbi. What happened in that empty tomb on this day 2,000 years ago is the beginning of the age of the resurrection. Easter is not a story about one guy who was crucified and came to life again. That's not the story. You missed the story. It is the euangelion. It is the adversity of conjunction, but it is the therefore through him you are no longer no longer a slave to death. You are free. The Jews taught about this age and the age to come, this age and the age of the living, this age and the age of the winds of the resurrection. What happened 2,000 years ago on this day was the beginning of the age of the resurrection. Oh, it begins in Jesus, but it does not end in Jesus. Paul would say in another place in his Corinthian letter, letter that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And just like the first apples off the tree tell us the whole crop is coming, the empty tomb of Jesus tells us that in that emptiness, in the emptiness of his tomb begins the emptiness of the tomb of everyone who believes and everyone who calls him Lord. But God raised him from the dead I love John 11 where Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this maybe you've heard this story so many times that your eyes are dim and your ears are deaf. But Easter changes everything. You have received God's forgiveness for your sins. It's the therefore of Easter. It's the euangelion. It's the adversity conjunction. Therefore, through him, God has forgiven you. And you can forgive your brother And therefore you are through him Free from the power Enslavement to sin And free from the power Of death That's the therefore Of Easter Bobby Dagnall now Pastor at First Baptist Church in Lubbock Did a funeral Several years ago for a woman By the name of Karen Karen was a 41-year-old mother. She had a 15-year-old and 11-year-old sons. The father had been away from the kids. You get the picture. He's trying to live in two worlds. He spent the weekdays there in Houston, needling from Houston, hour and a half, to two hours. He, he spent the weekdays with his wife in the hospital on her sick bed, her death bed, and then he would go home on the weekends to be with his son, and he wanted to be in both places. He wanted to be with his wife, and yet he knew his wife wanted him to be with the boys, and he was torn between. But finally, when it got to the end, they brought the boys to the hospital, to Houston, and of course the husband was there, and the boys were there, and Karen's parents were there, and her siblings were there, And Bobby, her pastor, was there. It was room number 840. The father said to to both the boys, your mom doesn't have much time. If you've got anything you need to say to your mother, you need to say it like right now. The 15-year-old boy went over there and he shared what he needed to share with his mother and he sat down. The 11-year-old boy, the second born, climbed up into bed with her. And he said something inaudible to the pastor, but then he did say, the pastor made out the words, familiar words, I love you. You can imagine the emotion in the room by now, and he jumped down out of his mother's bed and got into his father's lap, his father just patted him and kissed him and name is Austin. He just sort of whimpered. Then all of a sudden, out of character, he jumped up out of his father's lap, and he went over to the hospital room. You know, there's that grease board where you get your nurse's name and the weather and what day it is. There was a chair there. He's 11 years old. He pulls the chair over. He pops off the top off the grease marker, and Bobby's thinking to himself, what on earth is Austin going to doodle on the grease board that's going to be appropriate for his mother's last breath? And he, he wrote a verse he would memorized in Sunday school. Fear not, for I am with thee. Isaiah 55. That therefore, the good news of Easter is we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. I know for many of you, even this year, this week we had five funerals in our own church family. This week, so many over the past year, it might have been your husband or your wife, your mother or your father, God forbid your son or your daughter, your grandchild, your best friend. To you I bring the good news, the euangelion. We do not have to be afraid of death. Christians do not live in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. We live in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. Right there in the middle of the sermon, the phrase that means absolutely everything, the one I want to most hear uttered ever. But God raised him from, the dead. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for those words today. The good news of Easter, that your son through your power has been raised from the dead and we don't have to be afraid of death or dying or the graveside. But we do believe in you. We are the people of the living Lord. We are the ones of the empty tomb. And in his death and in his resurrection, we have our life, our victory, our glory.